Hi, this is Scott Silkey. I'm the worship arts director here at New Life Church. We're excited that you are joining us today. I pray that today's message will encourage and inspire you to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the world around you. Well, week two of good news. And I am excited to unpack this uh, version of the good news. Last week we talked about the incarnation of Christ through the eyes and the writings of the Gospel of John. Today, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark. So if you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, that's where we're going to be spending, uh, that's our key verses. But I'm just going to tell, I'm going to let you know up front, this has got a lot of Scripture. Okay, we are going to be all over the place today. So your thumb. If you're, if you're scrolling on your phone, could get a little raw. If you're, you're going to get a paper cut if you got your real body. We're going to be moving along today, okay? So um, I'm going to do my best to keep this as concise as possible. Uh, I'll just let you in on a little inside baseball here. Uh, if we get out of church around 11.10, it means I have about five pages of notes. I have eight. Okay, so I'm going to do my best, but this one is an interesting uh, topic. Mark is one of those Gospels. Okay, so the headline for today's message is this, ancient prophecy fulfilled, ancient prophecy fulfilled, all right? And uh, today we're going to look at Mark. Mark can be referred to as Gospel Prime. Not, it's not a transformer. It's a Gospel Prime. What does that mean? Most scholars believe that Mark was the earliest of the Gospels, that Matthew and Luke used Mark as a prime source and filled out their narratives with other eyewitness testimonies and firsthand accounts. So Mark can serve as an outline for Matthew and Luke. It's considered to be the oldest book. Mark is also called Stumpfinger. It's a terrible nickname, okay, because it's so short. It's so short, and he's so concise, and he just, he just lays it out there really simple. There's no flourishes. So this is Mark, all right? So if you, if you have your Bible, Mark chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 1 through 8. Here we go. In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Spoken like gospel prime, right? In the beginning of the gospel. Verse 2. As it was written in Isaiah the prophet, see I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make his paths straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him, and they were baptized, uh, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John wore a camel, uh, wore camel skin garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Mm. He proclaimed this. One who is more powerful than I am is coming in after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity we have today to look at these eight verses, and just kind of dissect what, what Mark was trying to convey to us about the incarnation of Christ. Lord, I, I pray that our hearts would be open, that we would see the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, the coming of Christ in a fresh new way today. It's not a new story, but a new thing that is happening in the story, the whole story. So, God, I thank you for this opportunity we have to be in your word today. 
Bless our ears. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Right from verse 1, Mark sets up for which, uh, what the rest of his narrative is going to be about. He says this, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What is he saying here? In the beginning of the gospel. In the beginning of the good news of Jesus the Christ. Now, what does that mean? It means this. Anybody who's hearing this, Jesus the Christ, the Christ, Jesus Christ, Christ is not Jesus' last name. All right, this is not like David Sangster. It's not Jesus. Christ is a, is a title. It's a, uh, a royal title. It's, it, 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 it says, very plain and simple, that Jesus is the Messiah. Right out of the front, right out of the gate, Mark is saying, this Jesus, whom we're going to talk about for the next few pages of Scripture, I'm talking about the Messiah. The Messiah. The promised one. Then he goes on to say this, Jesus is the Son of God. Now, I don't know if you know this, but that was not always understood that the Messiah would be the Son of God. That is not necessarily something that the Old Testament prophets completely understood, that the Messiah would be God in flesh. They knew he would come from the line of David. They knew all these different things about him, but they didn't really see him as being God in the flesh. In fact, when Jesus came saying this, they got really upset with him. Okay? So he's saying this. Jesus is not only the Messiah, but he's the son of God. He's not an important prophet. Right? He's not just just another important prophet. He's not a moral teacher. He's going to teach morality, but he's not just a moral teacher. He is the Son of God. Mark wants to make this very, very clear. And what else does this first sentence say? This is gospel. This is good news. This is better news than you were even expecting. When you were expecting Messiah, you were expecting something. But I'm going to tell you good news about something far greater than what you even expected. It's good news. All right. So then Mark goes, after that, Mark goes on to connect his narrative, his story of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, he connects it to the greater narrative of the Old Testament. Verse 2, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Mark connects this concept where he goes into. See, just like John, he doesn't start out with Jesus in the manger. He doesn't start out with shepherds on a hillside. He didn't start out with a, with a, a new star that was followed by the magic. He starts out with, he's like, this story is already in play. It's not starting here. It's just continuing. It's a new thing that's happening within the narrative of the old. Right? So he just, he says, this is not new. This is not a new thing. This is what was foretold. So he goes into that. And sometimes when I, when I see these things, and, and a, lot, a lot of times in Matthew, Matthew uses a lot of Old Testament prophecy. And sometimes in Mark too. That when, they, when they connect those things, I'm like, I got to read this for myself. So we, let's, read it, let's read it together. He's referring back to Isaiah. So if you look at Isaiah chapter 40, starting at verse 3, he says this. This is the Old Testament. This is the connection point. Ready? A voice of one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Then he goes on to say, say this. Every valley will be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will be, become smooth and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will appear and all humanity together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. He's saying this, that the prophet that's going to come, he's going to prepare the way. He's going he's to sand out the rough edges. The difficulties for getting to God are now going to be leveled out. Okay? The prophet's going to come and he's going to tell about this Messiah who's going to make a path that is straight 
to God. Those mountains that are so hard to climb in, Jude, uh, in, in the Jewish tradition, he's going to level them out. He's like, I am the path. What does Jesus say when he talks about himself? What does he call himself? The way. So the person who's going to come is going to talk about this Messiah who's going to make the high places low and the low places high. He's going to make a highway in the wilderness straight to God. And that's what Mark references. He also, he also references Malachi chapter 3. So let's jump over to Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. He says this, See, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant you delight in. See, he is coming, said the Lord of armies. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who will be able to stand when he appears? This is what John is referring to. Who will be able to, re- who, who can stand when the day comes? He's like, I, I'm not even good enough to, to bend down and help him tie his sneaks. I'm not even worthy of that. Listen, who could stand in the day of his coming? Um, for he will be like a refiner's fire, like a launderer's bleach. I want you to, I want you to pick up on these notes, okay? Refiner's fire. This is going to be a theme that we're going to deal with throughout the, the day today. Fire, bleach, a launderer's bleach. He will be like a refiner. A purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Refining, refining, refining. Then they will pre- uh, present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. What did John come to uh, proclaiming? Forgiveness of sins. Repentance. Forgiveness of sins. Righteousness. Verse 4. And the offspring of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord as in days of old and years gone by. Verse 5, I will come to you in, <clears throat> we don't like this word, judgment. I will come to you in judgment, and I will be ready to witness against you, against sorcerers and adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker, the, uh, the, wi- the widow, and the fatherless, and against those who deny justice to the resident alien. This is why people are coming to John. Why? Because he says this, you need to repent. You are a sinner. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute here. I'm not a sorcerer. No. Are you a regular person? Are you a kid? Are you a it doesn't matter. He went all the way from sorcerer to the poor widow. All of you. This is what John is referencing. This is what they know he's talking about. This is the voice crying out in the wilderness. This is the refining that's happening. He's, and people are going, oh, my gosh. I have denied justice to people. I have been hard on people. I have, what was the one? I, I, um, I have sworn falsely. I have oppressed my hired workers. I am a sinner. Even the poor widow who's at the end of her, you know, she's just trying to scrape by. It doesn't exempt you. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. This is what John, we don't like to talk about that anymore. I'm a pretty good person. Yeah? Compared to who? Well, I'm not a sorcerer. True, that's good, yeah. If, that, if that's your benchmark, then you're doing really good. <laughs> I'm not a sorcerer. Good, well, good for you. Have you ever lied? Have you ever treated somebody poorly? I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We're all. This is John, this is Mark's message recorded through the voice of John. John's like, guys, listen, he's coming. you got to prepare your hearts for his arrival. All right. This new thing is not a separate thing, right? This new thing is not a separate thing. It's a continuation of the entire narrative of God's rescue plan. It's not something new. It's continuation. John is the, uh, 
the witness foretold in the Old Testament. Verse 13 goes like this. Your words against me are harsh, says the Lord. Now, what does that mean? It means that the people are accusing God. We'll get into it a little bit. The people are accusing God. He goes, your words against me are harsh, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we spoken against you? You have said this. And this is what they were accusing God of. It is useless to serve God. What have we gained by keeping his requirements and working mournfully before the Lord, walking mournfully before the Lord of armies? So now we consider the arrogant to be fortunate. Not only do those who commit wickedness prosper, they even test God and escape. He's saying this. What's, what's the value for me to serve God? Why should I repent? What's the, what's the value for me? I mean, I look around and, and there's wicked people prospering. What's in it, what's in it for me? Think about that for a second. They're asking, I would be shocked if every single one of us has not asked that question at some point. Why am I doing this? Why am I making myself so weird in other people's eyes? Why am I holding these standards that no one else seems to care about? What's in it for me? Well, that's what Israel is asking too. He said, not only they test God and they get away with it. Verse 16, at that time, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. The Lord took notice and listened. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and had high regard for his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of armies. My own possession on the day I am preparing. I will, uh, I will have compassion on them as a man has compassion on his son who serves him. So you will again see the differences between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. What is he talking about? I believe he's talking about this. I don't even know if he knows what he's talking about, honestly, the prophet. I think he's giving a prophetic word here. And I think what he's talking about is this, that those who repent and follow the ways of God, he's writing their names in a book. And at some time in the future, it's going to, they're going to see the difference between the, they're going to see what's in it for them. He's not forsaken them. He's not forgotten. He's not letting them alone. He's not letting other people get away with stuff. There is going to be a reckoning. And those, what, does he, what does he use terminology use? He uses family terminology. They will be like my son. This is what Jesus brings. This is what Jesus brings, a whole different understanding of how we become righteous. Instead of doing all the right things, it's not what you do. It's literally who you know. Jesus brings that in. Now, I'm going to read the last chapter of Malachi. Ready? Yes, this is a lot of scripture. I know. Get to a point. Here we go. Verse 1, chapter 4. For look, the day is coming burning like a furnace. There's that terminology again, burning like a furnace. When all the arrogant, everyone who's committed wickedness will be become stumble, stubble. The coming day will consume them, says the Lord of armies, not leaving them root or branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and playfully jump. Sounds nice like calves from the stall. You will trample the wicked, for they will be ashes under your soles of your feet on the day I am repairing, says the Lord. Oh, God says I can trample all over the wicked. No, it's not what he says. He said he's going to take care of it, and it's not, you're, not gonna even, you're just going to enjoy your life. Their, their existence is going to be like sand on your feet. God's going to take care of it. It's not our job. Vengeance is his. You just got to get that out of the way. God did not say you can stomp on the wicked, okay? Vengeance is his. Um, Verse 4. Remember the instruction of Moses, my servant, the statutes and ordinances I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Look, I am going to send you the prophet Elijah. And here we go. I am going to send the prophet Elijah 
before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. <coughs> Yikes. That is the last. The word curse is the last word of the Old Testament. The last word. Isn't that interesting? That's the last word of the Old Testament. If you don't do, if, if you don't repent, if you don't turn to me, then you're going to be underneath, underneath the curse. And I can't help you. Interestingly enough, Malachi is writing to the Jews. Now, he's writing to the Jews who returned from 70 years of exile in Babylon. Reminder, just a quick reminder, the Babylonians invaded Judah and sacked Jerusalem and burned down the beautiful temple of Solomon built in 15, uh, 586 B.C. They took the Jews to Babylon. There the Jews lost their uh, Hebrew language as they learned and adapted their language to the Babylonians, and, we got na- and from that we got Aramaic. Okay, the Jewish uh, translation into, became Aramaic. Okay? Hebrew was somewhat lost. Now, I, get, I give you this timeline. This is just for reference, but I want to talk a little bit about this timeline, this period. And if, you, if you're a history buff, you're going like, to love this, and you're probably going to fact check me, and then that's okay. I'm fine with that. Uh, I did my best. If you're not a history buff, just take a little nap. We'll get back to the other thing in a minute. I'll, I'll wake you up at the end of the history lesson. The Persians and the Medes, they, ca- they conquered Babylon in about 397 B.C. It was King Cyrus of Persia that sent the first contingent of the Jews back to Judah to rebuild the temple. And we, we get that story in Ezra, Nehemiah. Okay? They go back. Ezra goes back as a priest who uh, teaches the law to the people. Nehemiah rebuilds the city walls to this post-exilic Jewish community. And then Malachi prophesies with Haggai and Zechariah. And then nothing. Nothing. This period of time from Malachi on is referred to as the 400 years of silence or the intertestamental period. They get nada. They get nothing from God. No prophecy. No word from God. They, they're left with Malachi's last words. And if you don't do this stuff, a curse is coming. But interestingly enough, though God is silent during this period of time, a lot happens. Okay, as you can see. So, God's last word is that Elijah would come before the Messiah came back. That Elijah would come. This is known, and and, and Jesus confirms later on that John the Baptist is that Elijah. He actually says it. He says, if you can take it, if if you can receive it from me, John the Baptist is Elijah who would come. Jesus says this. All right, so let's go through a couple things. This is a very busy period of time. A lot of things happen on a very large scale, okay? Um, The Persians were conquered by Alexander the Great. With Alexander came what? The Greek army, Greek language and culture, and uh, as well as science and philosophy, okay? Remember, Alexander's tutor was Aristotle. So with this came a unification of peoples. Now they're speaking the same language. They have the same uh, understanding. They're, they're, it's protected pretty safe okay, with the army. This is called the Hellenization of the, the world. So following the death of great, uh, Alexander the Great, around 323 B.C., the empire was split, and Palestine experienced... Uh, a constant tug of war between the Ptolemaic Empire and the Seleucid Empire. Okay, one of two of two of Alexander's generals. Now, I don't care if you know. I don't know if you care about that, but here we go. Now, a Seleucid ge- uh, emperor was Antiochus IV, and he ruled that empire around 175 BC until his death in 164 BC. 
Now, why is that important? This is what he did. He wanted all the people united under one culture. Now, if you know anything about the Jewish culture, this is not possible. This is not possible. So what did he do? He, 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 he put some things in place that really put a lot of pressure. And it, it might have been seen as a curse. I would imagine it was. Malachi's word at the end of his book probably was ringing in their ears. Okay? He wanted the entire, to unite the culture. Uh, they, he wanted everybody to worship the Greek gods and speak the Greek language. He imposed the following rules on the Jews to wipe them uh, of everything that wasn't Hellenistic. Basically, to, to remake them. This is some of the rules. The Jews could not assemble for worship, sacrifice, or pray. That was one of his rules. They could no longer observe the Sabbath. Possessing scripture was illegal. Circumcision was illegal. And their dietary laws were illegal. That's pretty much everything. Considering that God's last words through Malachi were to obey the laws of Moses, my servant, and all his decrees and regulations, this is basically telling you have to break your law, to break God's law. You have to. Meanwhile, while this is all going on, all these laws, this is what Antiochus does. He desecrates the temple by slaughtering, by sacrificing a pig in it and setting up a statue of Zeus in the Jewish temple. Remarkably, the statue of Zeus Zeus looked a lot like Antiochus. It had his personage. I don't know how that happened. So even though the the prophecies are, are not coming, God is not speaking, he does do something interesting. He raises up a family. And the leader of this family is Judas Maccabeus. They are a family of priests. The Maccabees won their battle with the Seleucids, and Israel became an independent state for the first time since the death of Solomon. They rose up, and they were victorious. Many, many people believed that Judas Maccabeus was the Messiah. Can you see it? Can you see it? They're oppressed. They're they're under the most uh, terrible persecution that they've had in a long time. And this one priest rises up and their family wins a battle, wins the battle. And and now they're free. Not since Solomon were they this free. Okay? So that's pretty interesting. Now, that story of the Maccabees is the story around the Jewish festival of Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Has Christmas ties to it, which also really sh- emphasizes that Judas Maccabeus was very much a Messiah figure, right? And this birthed the Hasmonean dynasty, and many believe that Judas Maccabeus was the Messiah. Now, Israel's independence under the Hasmonean dynasty would be, unfortunately, very short-lived. We're almost out of the history section, guys. Nap's almost over. Here we go. It only lasts about 100 years. When the forces of Rome conquered the Hasmonean kingdom in 63 BC. So Rome comes in and all the hopes that Judas was this Messiah get squashed by the iron fist of Rome. Herod the Great displaced the last reigning Hasmonean client ruler in 37 BC. Herod the Great. Now we're into the Herods. Can you see that where the stage is now set? This is the time. This is the place. This is um, where, where our understanding of Christmas, the stage is set for that time. Now, what has happened in that time? Why is this? Another scripture says, in the fullness of time, Christ came. Why is this the fullness of time? I'll tell you why. There's some reasons why. First off, Rome was awful. Rome was awful. But they did some amazing things. 
between the Greek Empire of Alexander the Great and the Roman Empire, they unified the world in language, culture, and highways. Which means what? This is the most, this is the perfect time for a gospel, for a good news to spread like wildfire. Okay? So, yes, until this point, there's no, there is absolutely no mention of a word from God. Okay? But the stage is set. Can you see how these people would be hungry for a Messiah? They just lost 100 years worth of freedom. And they're like, I guess he wasn't the Messiah. We, there's somebody else coming. There's somebody else coming in the stage, and they're, and they're anticipating, and they want it so very bad. There were multiple military zealots who proclaimed themselves to be the Messiah, and a bunch of people followed them, and they got killed by the Romans. They just got wiped out. Well, I guess that's not him. And then John comes on the scene. I always like, somebody said to me, uh, said it one time from a sermon, I thought it was just a beautiful bit of poetry. 400 years of silence was broken by a baby's cry. God had not spoken to human beings for 400 years, and he, and he introduces himself, comes back onto the scene with a peal of a newborn baby's cry. The stage was set, the time was now, the fullness of time had arrived. So John comes onto the scene, and he starts preaching repentance. He starts preaching Malachi. He starts preaching Isaiah. And he's saying, listen, it's time to repent. we got to repent. we got to make, I'm making you ready for the coming of the Messiah. Not a Messiah, the Messiah. This Messiah is going to be different. I'm telling you, I baptized you in water. It's going to be different with him. It's going to be different. But the one thing that he was very clear about is this, because people wanted to make John the Messiah. I, I, don't, I, don't really under, I don't know if we understand just how popular John was. John was, John was a trip, man. People were coming from all over the place to check him out. I mean, he, was, he fashioned himself after a prophet of old. He was Elijah. He was wearing, you know, leather underpants. If he was even wearing underpants at all. I don't know. He was wearing, he had, you know, he was just wearing camel skin and leather belt, and he was eating locusts. Like, that's weird. He must be the Messiah. I mean, but people were, like, drawn to him. Why? Because they because John was speaking a message that they knew. To us, it seems a little bit like, what is, why is John so popular? They, they understood. They knew what he was talking about. Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees they, that we deal with in the, in the life of Jesus, they came to be during the Hasmonean dynasty. They were not there before. It was after the Maccabean Revolt that these two sects of people, and they started teaching in the Bible, and, and, and they were really good for a long time, and then they got very pious, and they got very, well, you know the end of the story. But they were looking for Elijah. He says, he goes, I am not the Messiah, I'm Elijah. He's coming. He's coming. What was John's goal? To prepare the way of the Messiah. Now we can start the sermon. That was all introduction. I'm not even joking. But anyway, so what does it look like? What does it look like to prepare the way for the Messiah? Well, first of all, John preaches. John preaches. And what does he preach? He preaches the word. He goes back to Malachi. He goes back to Isaiah. And he, he prepares these people like, you need to repent. It says, John came baptizing in the wilderness. In verse 4 it says, and proclaiming the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him. He is a big draw. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Pharisees and Sadducees hated Jesus. They hated John before they hated Jesus. He was stealing their mojo. Verse 6, John wore a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey and wore leather underpants. doesn't say that. I'm sorry. That's a... So what did he do? He preached. He preached the word for Mark, for John the Baptist, and for you and me. We must speak. You know that, that, that um, I even probably used it, the, um, the quote attributed to St. Uh, Francis of Sissies, you know, preach always and when necessary use words. I just learned the other day that he probably never said that. But that's fine and good. And, we need to, and I think the emphasis is there, like we need to be people of the gospel rather than just words but we need the words. We got to tell people. We got to preach. This is good news. We must share it. And John spoke and preached from specific themes. One, he preached repentance. That's a tough sell these days, folks. I know it. Trust me. When you look at somebody and you speak the words, even if you say it super kind, with sprinkles on top, you're a sinner in need of a savior. It's tough. It's a tough sell. Even though we know it, we know it, we know it. Know what I'm realizing of this? And we're going to talk about this next series when we, at the beginning of, of um, January. It's constant self-denial to civilize oneself. To be a civilized human being is not natural. It takes self-denial at a, at a rate in which we are not happy with. We want to be our authentic me. Guess what? The authentic me stinks. The authentic me stinks. It takes the, uh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm getting into the next series too much. We're going to call it rest, restricting grace. Because we're not good. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. He preached he preach repentance. Something is broken. We need to turn from the things that don't align with the ways of God. And it's not just turning away from something, but turning toward someone. Turning from our sins and turning toward God. It's, see, Christianity has often gotten this. It's not just what we're against. It's who we're for. Does that make sense? So often we're, we're, we, we are uh, labeled by the things that we're against. And yes, when, we have, when there are standards, there's things you can't do. But John is saying, repent, turn away from those things, and turn toward a new life with God. The result of John's message is forgiveness, forgiveness of those sins. John 1, uh, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he, the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ, is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he preached repentance. He also preached baptism. What is baptism? Baptism is the outward sign of the inward change. It's a declaration. It's a promise amongst witnesses. It's kind of like a wedding. You do realize that I cannot do a wedding for somebody with just the two of them there? It's not legal. There's got to be a witness. There's got to be a witness. I did a wedding a little while back. It was the couple just like, you know what? We realized that we need to get married. We've been, we've been, we've been, doing this thing the wrong way and we want to get married and we want to do it next week like, all right let's do it it was me and the couple and lisa standing in the back and she was the witness 
That's what baptism is. It's this witness amongst, it's, 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 a, it's the outward statement of an inward change that's a promise among friends that we're going to help each other, keep each other accountable. So the first thing John did was he preaches. What else does he do? He points to Jesus. He's Christocentric in his teaching. He's not trying to bring attention to himself. He's trying to bring attention to Christ. Verse 7, he proclaimed, one who is more powerful than I am is coming after me. I am not worthy to step down and untie the strap of his sandals. In the Gospel of John, verse 3, it says, and they, John's disciples, came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with us across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. So John baptizes Jesus. Jesus crosses over the other side of the river and starts baptizing people. And everybody who's, all the people from Judea and Jerusalem that were coming to see John are now going to see Jesus. And John's disciples are going, that's not fair. He owes you something. He's he's taking our crowd, man. John answered, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom, and I ain't it. He says, the friend of the bridegroom, that's me, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. The best man doesn't go home with the bride. The best man's like, yes, that's my boy. I'm so excited for him. He says this, Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, and I must diminish. Okay? So he, it's Christocentric. It's all about Christ. We have to remember that when we do things, okay? When we, when we talk to people, it's very important that you do not, I do not try to make people think that I'm great or that I'm smart or that I have got answers. Um, one of the things we do in, 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 in church is when people come to us with, with problems, with, with issues that are real in their lives, um, my job as a pastor is not to solve their problem, right, Christopher? Our job is not to solve people's problems. What is our, pro- what our job? Our job is to point them to the one who can actually solve their problems. And eventually, they don't need to come to me anymore. I don't want to be somebody's lifeline. I am, I'm not equipped for that. Christ is. The last thing he does, and I promise, this is the last thing, before the second sermon. So he preaches, he baptizes, and he prophesies of the Holy Spirit. He connects the promise of the Messiah with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Okay? He says, I baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, over in Luke, it says it this way. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, do you guys remember what we were talking about back when we were in Malachi and Isaiah? What was this fire he was talking about? We, you know, it's funny. We talk about fire. We sing about fire, you know, fire fall down. All this Can I just tell you? Has anybody ever been burned? How old was I? I was like, really, yeah, she's going to feel guilty now. Look at this. When I was one, I don't even remember it. You're apparently like just scarred by it. I'm, but I walked into the bathroom after my mom was doing her beautiful hair. And I missed thought the hair the hair curler was like a lightsaber or something. And I just grabbed it. And I burned my little, my little baby hands. You could smell it next door. It smelled like sausage. No, I'm joking. And that's, that's gross. That's gross. Sorry. I, had to, I, 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 can't, I, I come from a long line of pyros. So my dad, my, my dad set a whole field on fire one time. Just hit his friends. This is before the internet. This is before cell phones. His friends went out into a dry field of grass and decided it would be a good idea to just light off a box of matches. 
that's where I came from. <laughs> when I was a little older, I remember going up to, you know, how many people have those Weber grills with the coals? See, you would think that a normal human being would understand that the meat on the grill is being cooked inside this cauldron. Thus should not be touched by human hands. Oh, no. What an idiot. I guess that one-year-old lesson didn't, I didn't learn. Before. It hurts to be burned with fire. It's not fun. Sometimes we Pentecostals, I think we, we hold this very loosely. Fire is for refining. It's for burning up your garbage. You know where your garbage goes when you put it out in your little green bin and the truck comes, right? You know what? It doesn't stay in the truck. I don't know if you know that. They bring it to an incinerator and they burn it. That's where garbage goes. That's what Gehenna was in the, old, in the New Testament. When Jesus talks about Gehenna, when he talks about hell, he likens it to a garbage dump where the fire was always burning because fire burns up your garbage. Fire burns things. It's hot. And this is what John is talking about. This will make you repent. This will make you get baptized. John knows that baptism in water is just a symbol of a repentant life. <coughs> Excuse me and the forgiveness of sin. <clears throat> Yet when Jesus comes, he will baptize with the power to live a life of true repentance and be cleansed from our sins. The things that we once thought were important are burned up and become worthless. The time we spent outside the biblical standard is now profitable. It burns away the garbage and leaves the gem. It is humbling. It's humiliating when you re realize that you are a sinner. It's like cauterizing a wound. It's painful, but it'll save your life. Isaiah 1 says this, Therefore, the Lord God of armies, the mighty one of Israel, declares, ah, I will go, I will get even with my foes. Oof. Who's their foes? Who's his foes? Those Babylonians, right? They're bad. Maybe it was the Persians. Or maybe it was the, uh, the ones who came after them. And maybe it was the Hasmonean dynasty. Maybe it was, no. I will revenge my enemies. I will turn my hand against you and will burn away the dross completely. I will remove your impurities. I will restore your judges. He's talking to Israel, to what they were at first. You are advised, uh, and your advisors to what they were at the start. Afterward, you will be called a righteous city, a faithful town. This is the environment that John steps up to the stage. And I want to read. John's proclaiming this. He's saying, I can't untie his sandals. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then verse 9 of Mark 1. In those days, those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. This is Mark's account of the incarnation of Christ. In those days, now you can see, maybe you can understand a little bit more why it's important. The history of it is important. The, the, the climate is important. In those days, on this set stage, this is what Jesus walks into. The God of the universe condescends to come into human flesh and walk into a powder keg. He's walking into a powder keg. He knows exactly where he's going. He knows the end from the beginning. And he chose to come at that time, the fullness of time, because God so loved you. God so loved this sinner who desperately needs repentance. And the only one who can save me is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, 
the Son of God. Would you bow your heads with me for a second? I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I just feel like it would be appropriate. Maybe you, maybe you thought you were okay. You're a pretty good person. I'm not a sorcerer. Yeah, maybe I tell some lies and I use some foul language and I, and I, you know, don't do the things I know I should do, but I'm a pretty good person. The Bible says, for all have sinned, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But he also says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That can happen today. Remember, what he, remember that last passage? He says, I'm going to come against my enemies. And who was he talking to? He wasn't talking to. He wasn't talking to the Babylonians. He was talking to his people who were unrepentant. So maybe you've been walking with God for a long time, but you're like, you know what? I, I could use a little repentance today. I'm telling you, repentance is cathartic. It is good for your soul. And you're saying today, I need, there's some things in my life that I need cleansed. I need baptized. I need, I need to die to, that I need to give over to God. And that's you today. And you want to you repent of those things today and accept Christ as the only the only way to salvation, and that's you. Just raise your hand. Just raise your hand this morning. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. See those hands. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you. I love your honesty. You know what's kind of cool, guys? You can't see because your eyes are closed and nobody's peeking. I know that. But there's people here who are raising their hand who have been walking with the Lord for a long time. And there's other people, I don't know how long they've been walking with the Lord, or if they have at all, raising their hands together saying, yes, I need Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, to wipe away my sins. And I'm going to be honest with you. Today, my hand's up with you. There's some things in my life that I can, that I need healing from. And God is the only one who can do it. So, Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for my brothers and sisters' patience with me this morning. It's a lot. I get it. But, Lord, I pray today, Lord, that their hearts will be full of you. That you would, though it can be difficult and tough to hear, and, and, and the fire of your Holy Spirit is, is searing. God, I pray, Lord, that you would take away the bad. You would fill it with your good. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Messiah, Son of God, who takes away our sins. Be with my brothers and sisters who raised their hand today and said, Lord, I, I give this to you. I, I surrender this to you. If I had a body of water right here now, I'd baptize them right here. We love you, Lord. Help us to be fully immersed. Thank you for hanging in there with me, guys. Love you. God bless you. Have a great week. Stay healthy. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. If you want to find out more about New Life Church, you can connect with us at discovernewlife.org. We hope to see you soon.